0: You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael.
1: Andre, it's so good to hear your voice. <laughs> Wait a second. This is my third time hearing your voice this week. Oh, I think it's I more think than I'm that. I
2: think i I am. I think I phoned you a few times too. While we're at it. Yeah. Um, okay. You know what? I'm now actually I'm
1: getting, re- now I'm getting a little sick of this.
2: I'm actually really happy that we're, we're we um. We found something with a bit of meat and potatoes on it I know people enjoy the podcast And it's just like I think we've been a little bit too um, Too loosey goosey Having a little bit too much fun lately That I think it's time to unpack some hard news Um, We're recording this on June 10th At midnight tonight The great reopening begins And hopefully continues And um, I thought we'd follow up with uh, the fine people from Henry of Pelham to just talk about, I guess, sort of the state of the industry with uh, things reopening. And sitting in for a Paul Speck is Dan Speck. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. Is, now, you've, now you've done the, the, the... Okay, we've got to explain that. Like, I, so I interviewed Paul Speck last year at the beginning of the pandemic for News Talk 1010 CFRB. And I, I had the idea that we should do this follow-up, and I said Paul Speck, and you heard Dan Speck, and you and I are going to argue forever as so whoever, but we ended up getting I said, Dan you Speck. said, you
1: want Dan, you said yes, I want Dan. To
2: no? which when I said you booked the wrong one, the wrong brother, I said it doesn't matter, I'm happy to talk to him and I can read the transcript. So Dan, thank you very much for giving us
0: the time and joining us. I feel like a can of dented tuna or something. <laughs> 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 you're the, You're the seconds, yeah. That's right. The third. Save the best for last. This is the, you're
1: the 35 cent
0: can. That's right. I'm bringing up the rear. All right.
1: (laughs) So yeah, so Andre had this conversation, I guess, with Paul. So you're, uh, and I, I never heard it either. So, uh, Andre, I guess you're going to lead with the first question here.
2: Sure. You know, I I really want to kick this off because last year at the beginning of the pandemic, um, one of the big stories at the beginning was that the sale of booze at the LCBO obviously increased at the beginning. But the interesting asterisk to that was the sale of Ontario wines also increased. Uh, so, Dan, have the sales of Ontario wine held strong throughout the pandemic, or have things changed? And and hold on, before I answer that, are we talking LCBO or winery or both? I was going to break it down after that. We can we can oh, okay. we can we can do it bit by bit, Michael. Okay, sorry.
0: Well, yeah. So, so I think that uh, at the beginning uh, we were terrified. We didn't know what was going to happen. Of course, uh, like everyone, uh, the sales of wine overall did increase, they stayed very strong through the pandemic. Uh, we're still in it, I guess, but uh, but we're sort of seemingly on the tail end, I think. Um, the sales of wine globally uh, in, in Ontario have come down a bit uh, a bit since then. And some of that's to do with uh, shifting patterns of where people purchase wine, which I we can get to in a minute if you like, Andre. Um, Ontario wines have softened in sales, but ha- so too have pretty much all the other categories as well. So it's, it's um, yeah, I think a couple might still be showing some positive growth but right now. I think people went through a lot of pantry loading, uh, bulk buying. Um, I, I'm sure this is probably true with toilet paper too. I'm sure the toilet paper sales for 2022 are not going to be quite as robust as they were in 2021.
2: So, so with sales dropping though, are sales still still strong? I know you said that wine sales are kind of softening uh, across the board.
0: Yeah, so the mix is changing. So, um, I, people who uh, value price points uh, are not uh, moving in the way they were before. So. There was uh, initially a lot of inexpensive wine uh, sold because it was just practical to buy large formats cheap, and people were just grabbing stuff out of the store, running in, grabbing it, and going. And uh, there wasn't a ton of selection. If you're, if depending where you shopped, you had more or less selection. Um, since, uh, as things have progressed, though, even through the pandemic, there was also we were seeing the premium end of wine really doing well, and that's because people couldn't go to restaurants, so instead of uh splurging on a meal out they're like well let's buy a great bottle of wine so what's what has carried through so if if it's a trend thing that we want to talk about uh the, the lower price points are dropping quite uh, heavily right now and premium wine is actually holding or even growing Interesting. All categories. Yeah. So that,
2: that i didn't see coming yeah so like last year when i yeah. talked to when i talked to paul i found that surprising because I know at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I know I, I joked and I still joke when I talk to people about it, that this is when the world was ending. Although, thankfully, it seems to be recovering a bit. But if the world's going to end, I don't want to go out drinking the cheap stuff. I want to go out drinking the good stuff. So it seems like um, I was a trendsetter and people are finally catching up with me. Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, now, well, yeah. Dancer, I know you kind of alluded a little bit. You mentioned a couple of times, um, like, according to where people are buying their wine. Uh, what do you, What do you mean by that?
0: So there uh, a couple of things happened. <clears throat> if you remember, they uh, for a period there, uh, the LCBO was closed on Mondays. So that and they, and they had shorter hours. So that reduced your ability to go into a liquor store. Secondly, uh, people weren't as excited about going to more than one place to do their shopping. So if you wanted to buy wine, you could also buy it at the grocery store or you could buy it from, you know, uh, some of the, you know, the wine racks, probably places like that, or you could go online and, and elsewhere. So we saw uh, all these other channels, uh, non-traditional channels, perhaps relative to the LCBO, really explode in sales. But then, as uh, the LCBO has opened up its hours, as people become vaccinated and more comfortable with with uh, going out and shopping, and, and doing a couple of hits, you, know, you go hit your grocery store, you hit your liquor store, you hit whatever's open, Canadian Tire or something people are uh, going back to the LCBO and the numbers is a huge uh, uh, spike in, in the LCBO versus the other channels
1: hmm yeah, I find that
2: fascinating too
1: but uh, the selection of the LCBO has really gone like totally downhill
0: uh, yeah I mean it, there's there's less selection at the moment there and there, it's funny I was just on a, on a conference call today where they're doing a presentation and some of that is also related to uh it's supply driven so right now it's hard to get anything right there's a global shipping crisis is quite the right word but it's almost a crisis to get containers of anything yes there's things that are supposed to be on the shelf that aren't that are stuck in in the port somewhere so you've got a bit of that going on there may have been some conservative buying too because people were trying to figure out what categories were going to be the busy ones which were going to be the slower ones and trying to you know you know predict the future which is of course fraught with danger so so think you got a bit of that working its way through the system but i but I, you'll see that change that's going to turn around i
2: think that's uh that's fascinating too i, I think it's actually one thing that you just you raised about the cost of um cost of shipping um i i you know, maybe i can just ask you a, a henry of Pelham specific related question because i know for Um, ADX, we're in the process of ordering some bottles for some bottling for next year, working this far ahead because of the supply issues, but the price of a case of empty glass is going up by two or three dollars across the board. Um, Are you guys going to have to increase your prices to to mitigate this uh, supply chain issue?
0: I know that's like this is this this is the million dollar question that businesses in every of all kinds are trying to figure out right now. Is this a short term inflation, right, or is this long term inflation? I, I mean, there, there's I can, I've heard convincing arguments on both sides. You're Paul Krugman in the New York Times arguing that this is just a blip. Don't worry about it. The world's gonna move on. And and then if then you know I can I can find you ten other articles to say the exact opposite. I think. Certainly, a large amount of this is supply chain driven, that it's short term, there is no shortage of shipping containers, there is no shortage of boats, there's no shortage of glass like these, but but it's, it's just so logistically difficult to do anything right now, because everything's got three more steps into it. And, and there's strange knock on consequences when, when when, you know, North America is all at home. What do we do? We go online and shop and we just hoover up massive volumes of crap we probably don't need, <laughs> but it all ends up over here. All the shipping containers end up here, and there's no shipping containers back where all the stuff is made, so that creates shipping problems and costs so as things get back to normal, I think that'll probably resolve itself um the, the real question is is inflation here i mean that's I don't know if have, have to call the Bank of Canada for the answer on that one mm.
1: So I, I have an interesting question for you with regards to to wines that you made in uh, in 2020. Obviously, 2020 was, for Ontario anyway, was a really great vintage. Like, we just, you know, everything looked really good. We had a good year. Mother Nature really came through and probably made it, you know, uh, it was a crap year for, you know, going out and doing anything. It was a great year for grapes. So, but that that all being said, did you... Make the volume that you usually make, or did you scale back a little because you had stuff left over because you didn't have you know the visitors that you would have had the year before? and does that cause a glut of grapes out there and a glut of wines in tanks? I know that's like a, a it's a a question with like
2: five other questions attached. Hey, you're but. asking questions <laughs> like I do now. Good for you Michael. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well credit that um, but, uh, a seven-headed beast. No, it's actually a pretty straightforward question because the the thing with wine is is that you ha- um you can't let one year drive your business. Um, we have to think in three minimum three-year terms. And so, it, it, to put it another way, pandemic or no pandemic, when the vintage is good and plentiful, we ramp up production. Because we know there's always going to be a challenging vintage around the corner somewhere. I mean, anywhere in the world, this is the case with wine, right? There's always a vintage that's it could be next year, it could be two years from now. So we try and uh, beef up in the best vintages, and so that we can ramp down in the tougher ones. And ramping down in the tougher ones might be uh, like buying less grapes, for example, or leaving uh, taking more grapes off the vine so that what's left becomes better given the quality of the year, right? And so. Uh, which means making less wine. So it, it taking a, a tougher vintage and actually turning it back into a better vintage. So really, uh, you know, you, you got to think a few years out. And then, of course, the pandemic through the, the monkey wrench of the pandemic was uh, we were really selling the previous year's wines, this 2019s, 2019. And we were in some ways, in some cases, scrambling to, 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 to keep it going. Like we, what took off and uh, a lot of our brand, our, our biggest brands, here was a challenge that year, uh, our biggest brands, our biggest uh, individually, most popular wines, uh, you couldn't make them fast enough, and the ones that were the, the smaller or the new ones, they were they suffered a bit, because customers were walking into liquor stores or grocery stores, and they weren't taking the time to browse. They were just walking up and saying, Henry Palambacco. that's I love that one. I'll take a case. You, know? and you said that, what?
1: No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I think it was, I think it was your, your wife, Michael. Actually. She came and bought a case of the uh, tobacco <laughs> Uh,
1: that would be my sister-in-law and brother
0: <laughs> no but they they uh instead of instead of walking in and buying the two or three bottles they might usually buy or whatever it was they'd walk in and buy the one wine they liked in quantity and just get the hell out of the store and this was this was across uh, all wineries in the world this was the phenomenon so so that and that's why when you go to your grocery store now for example you know you might see that they, they aren't short of you know some kind of paper product. But the thing that you normally like, the specific the specific brand or skew isn't available, because everyone shifted production to one thing, or maybe you'll have no trouble finding, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, Heinz ketchup or something, but some other condiment Heinz made perhaps was in smaller uh, availability we couldn't find honey mustard for some reason i guess no one eats honey mustard so they were just ramping up production of regular mustard that was one that i noticed i noticed so that uh was, no
1: yeah. no sugar added french's ketchup i okay. really i kind of got addicted to that i thought it was even better than the sugar added and <laughs> right, you cannot okay. find that anywhere not amazon nowhere
2: right now yeah, right been, now for me it's, yeah. it's president's choice hot sauce it, and Is that I, good uh, it's it's insane. It's absolutely oh, insane. But uh, because I'm I'm working in Hamilton now, I've visited Loblaw's brands from Grimsby all the way to Midtown Toronto. Essential mm-hmm. visits, obviously, and the shelves are bare.
0: Well, what happens is they you know they they of necessity because c- you know we couldn't get components, couldn't get dry goods, couldn't get whatever the different companies of making whatever uh, started reshifting to the thing they could make that was their most popular brand, scaling that up. For, so. So that's the kind of stuff uh, that's particularly hard to do in wine, by the way. But it was certainly what everyone was kind of, you know, adapting to. Hmm. Well, there you
2: have it. So, uh, you know, as I alluded at the beginning of the um, at the beginning of the podcast, here we're the day before um, patios and and some businesses start to reopen. Um, are you guys ready at uh, Henry Pelham?
0: I mean, uh, as ready as we ever will be. Absolutely, uh, we're we're. Uh, we're going to be open uh, on the 11th. That's Friday. That's tomorrow. Oh, my God! Uh, yeah, you'll you'll see my son out there uh, running food. Eric Peacock is back in the uh, kitchen. He'll be uh, steering the ship through the summer, and uh, as chef, and uh, yeah, it's going to be great. The menu looks fantastic, and and it's, you know it's al fresco. It's all outdoors, which is how we always run the cafe. At Henry of Pelham, and so it's going to be like uh, like every year except, uh, of course, through the COVID times.
1: Well, Eric's menu better be good because he's had a, a good long year to figure out what to make.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, a lot of chefs, right? They're all in the same boat, so, so this is a chance for them to, to make hay. And, and so, yeah, support your chefs. They it's Support your local restaurant. They really, really need it. They've got a lot of ground to make up.
1: So, so uh, before the podcast, for Andre got on, we were we were also talking about Ontario and the Canadian government uh, opening some borders up. So it looks like uh, fingers crossed that as of uh, July 22nd, I think the 22s are the are the are the big ones now. Uh, July 22nd, they are saying that uh, if all goes well, obviously. Uh, that they are going to open the border up to vaccinated people going both ways you have to prove that you're vaccinated both shots and that you'll be able to come uh come back and forth so uh are, are you looking forward to us i'm going to say a slight influx i can't believe every american's going to come over but i mean you know you're going to start seeing hopefully some american guests who have uh you know on social media been, been going like i'm dying for baco. <laughs> absolutely
0: we have those people they do yeah i mean no I, i've seen them on yeah. social media so absolutely for sure yeah yeah for sure i mean uh for, we were, we're definitely well uh, looking forward to them coming back i mean america is leading the charge in the vaccinations right and uh, you know we're canada's doing an amazing job too now at this point so come let's, let's get the world border open and get on with things for sure
2: Um, I think Michael kind of jumped ahead just a tiny bit, because I had another question, um, a little bit more about you guys opening tomorrow. Um, What kind of experience can people expect? Because I know, like from talking to people, one of the big problems we've had with information coming from the government is that there's been a vast, inconsistent, uh, you know, way that information has has been coming out. So... Um, right. I mean, if I'm making an appointment to to come do a tasting at Henry of Pelham tomorrow what's it look like? Who can I bring with me? And and, and what's going to be going on?
0: Um, yeah, and, and then Niagara has its own rules and all, I will be honest, it's a little unclear to us at this point as well, but we're sort of navigating through it um, First off, I'll give this, the big picture is that the cafe is open and it's outdoors, and we have the covered patio area, plus we have all the beautiful picnic tables. Uh, under the trees, where which are, you know the, in a beautiful spot to sit in these beautiful oak trees we have in the property that's actually my favorite spot to sit but then even out by the cellar uh in amongst the vines we've set up some some tables there i just saw them before i came home today so uh that's very cool it's a lovely and it's all socially distanced it's spaced apart i mean well over six 60 like as much distance as you want you can pick your table up and move it if you want um you know it's right next to
1: somebody else
0: (laughs) i mean just that one spot is a 10 acre parcel sitting on a 300 acre parcel so there's no problem with finding space uh as far as uh tastings go the tastings are at this stage all outdoors so um again um you don't have to worry about social distancing The, the rules on dining here currently to my understanding it's uh four people But if you're from the same household, there's some allowances to bring in more people uh, in at the same space. We're just working out the exact details of that literally as we speak for before we open tomorrow. But my understanding at this moment is that you can have more than the four people um, if they're from the same household. So, but right now it's otherwise it's four people. Well,
2: there we go. It's something to look forward to.
0: Yeah. For sure, it's going to be fun, and we're going to try and get. Uh, just, so, one last thing I'd say is that we, we have to walk into this because the rules literally change by the day, and of course, they're, they're not always clear because there's also a local filter on it as well. And uh, as they evolve, we will be posting on henrypellum. com right on the front uh, page. And but our our goal is to have, uh, as allowed, have things like music being played and just a generally upbeat, happy, fun vibe. Yeah.
1: So. Um, and I and I believe well obviously you're in the you're in the same boat um, and I and I'll and I'll ask this question I'll try to not be an Andre Prue when I ask this one but <laughs> you never know it could end up being long but I I believe and from talking to other wineries and I think you're going to do the same thing uh, it's going to be a lot of appointment only kind of stuff it's not going to be a lot of drop in um, because obviously uh, the lack of space um Do you see that really changing, or is that the way Niagara is going to go, even after the pandemic? Are we going to go into like a kind of a Napa approach, where we we want to know how many people are going to be there so that we can give the best service possible? Or do you think we're going to be piled up three deep at a bar again? Oh,
2: good day? question, Michael.
0: Yeah, Not... it is a good question. If you look, I was reading something the other day on this, actually, uh, speaking about what's going on North America wide, and. You know, even in places that have reopened, um, people are tending to wineries are tending to keep to some uh, more of a version of of the the booked tour or the booked tasting, I should say. And it's just is a, it's a more elevated, better organized experience, I would argue. I think that being said, uh, there still is room for the, uh, the, the the quick hit at the tasting bar. Sometimes you just someone just wants to come in taste something. Grab that bottle and go, kind of like at the deli counter. You want to taste the, the cheese or the, the the cold cut before you go. It's a bit of that experience. I, I would like to think we're we're going to be pushing though to keep the uh, the the organized tasting because it is a much better experience and it's it's easier for us to manage and to staff and to just yeah three deep at the bar becomes a bit of a gong show. All right.
2: Now I guess on the on the other side here, you mentioned. Um that people are, are, are drinking a little bit more premium now, do you think that's a trend that's going to hold on? Or do you think as um, things open up a little bit more and let's assume and, and hope and knock on wood that this is the, you know, the actual reopening as we adjust to the new normal, that things are going to go back. And then here's the second part of the question. If so, do you have anything exciting from the family wine merchants portfolio that you're excited about bringing in to keep an eye on for premium?
0: Oh yeah. Okay. So the for the first part of the question, I mean, like every category and price point of wine is going to have its day, and I, and I don't think that we're going to see the end of inexpensive wines by any means. Uh, and you know, if 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 this this is, what we're in right now is is a if it's a recession, it's it's a supply driven recession, and it's a supply driven recession because of government regulation, right? I mean, this was the government shutting down segments of the economy, and so. Um, it wasn't like there was something fundamentally wrong with the economy and therefore people traded into different categories. So once in theory, as so so as a result of that, you know, if people had money, they were, they weren't drinking an expensive wine necessarily because it's where they wanted to go. It might've been a convenience factor or they had more money in their pocket and started going after premium wines. So I think as we come out of this, I don't see us necessarily losing premiumization necessarily. If the economy, though, goes off the cliff for some reason, if the housing market tanks or who knows what, you know, that that's a real could lead to a real recession. Well, that's different. You know, and that that would, you know, that's now you get into the realm of speculation. But I would say that, you know, if people really are significantly tight on money and there's obviously no government money out there that brought people up. Well, yeah, then, then we could see the pendulum swing in quite a different direction, perhaps away from premiumization. So that's, that's, you know, that's, those are big macro things. Currently, though, if the economy before we went into this whole thing was decent, right? So I don't see why we wouldn't see premiumization continue. And the second part of your question was, oh, premium wines from family wine merchants. Yeah. I mean, so family wine merchants for people who don't know another business my brothers and I got into about 11 years ago was uh, an agency business. So we, we always represented our own wines, Henry of Pelham. I had my own salespeople and myself even running around to liquor stores and to restaurants and whatnot, selling Henry of Pelham. And about 11 years ago, we took control of an agency that's now called Family Wine Merchants, and it sells the Henry of Pelham wines, but it also sells a, uh, a portfolio of international and domestic brands, like our good friends from Quailsgate in B.C. Uh, it, it sells a range of wines that... Um, uh it just makes us a more efficient operator and in many cases these are very good friends of ours so the the wine that i'm yeah maybe that is the wine i'm most excited about come to think of it quail's gate pinot noir is soon to be uh, available every day in your liquor stores wow. Uh well wow. uh yeah and it's it's think it's going to be 35 bucks 34.95 it's uh ben and tony stewart are long long time friends of uh my, myself and my two brothers and salt of the earth the best people uh I know in BC, and uh, they're, um, we're proud to, to sell their wines to the agency.
1: I'll, I'll say that the, this about Quail's Gate. Their Pinot has always been outstanding, and that yeah. Stewart Family Reserve is just, like, it's mind-blowing wine.
0: It's the real deal. Yeah. Except there's a trademark issue. They call it the SFR Pinot Noir. What is that they call it now? <laughs> <laughs> another, another, my, my, my favorite winery also has an SFR.
1: Oh, got it. Oh, well, there we go. Oh, yeah. well. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, then. Hmm. Well, but we'll forgive them. We're our friends.
2: <laughs> Dan, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us. And, I mean, I think you are the perfect guest to... Um, to uh, to to speak on all these issues because of how much you deal with the LCBO and the fact that you're a destination winery, so uh, maybe towards the end of the summer, as things continue to reopen, we may check in again just to see if the tourists are coming back and just how things are going and how the vintage is going to be. But uh, you know, thank you again for giving us the time. That was okay. that was Andre polishing up that can of tuna.
0: <laughs> Don't worry, we'll 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 save the best for last and get my brother Matt for the next one. Ah, right on.
2: <laughs> you know, I think. It's been a while since we've been particularly informative, although the tasting with uh, Shiraz last week was mind-blowing per my Instagram. But uh, uh, I think we can pat ourselves on the back for that one. We, we, we did our jobs as journalists <laughs> and you asked oh, no, good we, questions. You
1: know what, we, uh, we always have, um, I, had, I had a friend and we used to, uh, when you used to have a home phone and you used to have Bell, used to have Bell call answer Yep, and they give you three minutes to leave a message. And and a and a buddy and I used to fill that whole three minutes, and what you wanted to tell him was somewhere in that three minutes. But you had to listen to the whole three minutes to find out if you got the information, because there could be some information at the front, but it's not the information he wanted to tell you because he put it at the back end. I'm just saying our podcasts are kind of like that. There is some good information. You just got to listen <laughs> to the whole thing to find the good nugget. maybe in the middle. It might have the- been at the beginning. Or it may be at the end. Except this past one was was orange
2: juice. It was pure concentrate.
1: Well, you know, sometimes we get uh, we get we get the whole thing. Oh I'm just man! Saying. I hope you, and, were, you were you were dissing some of the other podcasts. I'm just saying, <laughs> There's always a nugget.
2: Somewhere in there. And we didn't swear. Anyways, uh, I'm going to wrap this up before we, we spoil uh, spoil the streak. I'm Andre Pru from underwinerview.ca. Uh, we very much appreciate you checking out Patreon, patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. We always appreciate the support from our loyal listeners. And
1: I'm Michael Pincus of Michael com. You can find me on social media as the great guy. The Rose Report is coming out July 1st. Ooh. I'm so excited, Andre. Uh, So uh, make sure to check out MichaelPinkusWinReview.com on the first or after, and you will find the link there. Andre, uh, please don't call me for the rest of the
2: week. No promises. Take us away. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. This episode of Two Guys Talking Wine was produced by Jim Ray. And Adam Duran.